Hi, welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we do encourage you that growth for your child is possible. In this podcast, I sat down with Dr. Gutstein and we talked about children with ASD and the hope all children have no matter what age they are. In RDI, it's never too late to start. You know, one thing I hear a lot from people, unfortunately, is, uh, and it's a common question for me to get when people are inquiring about RDI, is my child is seven, is it too late? My child is 12, I've heard it's too late for RDI. Uh, my child is 18. I've heard that it's only for younger children. So I thought it was great for us to talk about because uh, my son was, I think, 10 the first time I heard you speak. And uh, it's it's never too late. And, and I don't say that like just to be all, yay, it's never too late. But I mean, it's truly not ever too late. And so I wanted you to speak to that. When, when we think about um, older folks, what happens, I think, is that in, in a certain portion of the adult ASD population, they, they're so traumatized, um, they become so um, should I say, overwhelmed for so many years and so beaten down for so many years that they develop some very powerful defense mechanisms towards change, towards something new, towards trying anything new. They, they become very locked into um, what we call maintaining the stability of what they have. Um, that is an obstacle. And if, if we see someone who is at an age where they can make their own decisions and obviously they're deciding they don't want to try to remediate their difficulties. There's nothing that we're going to be able to do, whether it's RDI or anything else that's going to be helpful to them. But that really isn't limited to, to RDI. It's, it's to anything that we would try to do for someone to, to help them. Um, other than that, we really don't see any age limitations at all. It makes it more difficult, I think, for some of our um, adolescents and adults. As I said, the, the the fears they have about change, the habits they've developed are very strong, and so things are the initial obstacles may be more difficult. But uh, that's true for any kind of work you do, for instance, with adults and, uh, with adolescents and young adults, and some of those been a psychotherapist for many years as well with the non-ASD population, that's equally as true for a non-ASD population as it is for an ASD population. When I work with adolescents who don't have ASD, but have other problems. The initial resistances can be very strong and, and fears. So I don't think there's anything unique about the ASD population in terms of an age that would, um, that would limit them to be able to grow and develop. And I think that if you think about what we're doing is trying to open up a pathway for growth, it would be sad to think that there was some age limit for this population. We don't think of that for other populations. We don't think that we have a limited for growth. We don't think that um, anyone else would be. 
And so why would you be if you have ASD? You see, why would you suddenly be unable to develop the, the capacity for growth, for mental and self-growth, just because you have this diagnosis, you see? It's sort of an arbitrary idea that there's an age limit, you know? Um, it doesn't come out of anywhere that I know of. I think that it, it is important that they have someone who they can turn to to help them as a guide um, to, to work with them along with us, whether that's a parent or someone similar, parental figure, because it's very difficult to do this on your own. It's very difficult to, um, without that support and without that guidance, to make the types of changes we want them to make. It's, it's, I guess it's possible to do it, but it's so much more doable if you have somebody there by your side, right, who's helping you to gain perspective and helping you to think through what the next step is and helping you to, to, to give you another voice to learn through or another person to, to be able to co-experience things with rather than having to do it on your own. Um, and so I think another obstacle becomes adults who become so isolated from their families, everyone that... They don't have anyone that can serve as that type of what you call mentor or guide. And again, I think that is something that is true for any adult or any, you know, working with a teenager or an adult, even if they don't have ASD, when they become that isolated, they want to do, they want to function and succeed completely on their own. It makes life very difficult. We're, we're a species that is, we're a social species. We're a species that is, designed to develop and grow and evolve on in a group with others, alongside others, sharing with others. And we're not we're not designed, none of us are designed to do that completely on our own. So again, it's not I don't think it's necessarily um something that, that has to do with autism, but we do see it um, um, individuals with autism who become very isolated from others and, and, and even from their families. So, I you know, I think in that respect, it makes it more difficult. It has nothing to do with your age, does it? It's not about whether you're 18 or 80 or, or 8. You know, it has to do with your life circumstances and how open you are to what we can offer you. I think too, I was going to talk to you about the guiding relationship, thinking that it's too late to ever have a guiding relationship or that to be established doesn't really make sense. But I understand that there could be um, a plethora of obstacles to that. To a guiding relationship at any age. Um, And some of those obstacles may occur again when the individual is um, estranged from their family. Um, or is in a somewhat of a pseudo independent posture where they're being, uh, where they become so afraid of change, they're dependent on the, on the family, uh, for support, for sort of propping them up and, and they're terrified of losing that and, and, and becoming more competent, if you will. Um, so there's lots of ways that that can, there can be obstacles that can be created, but, it's never too late to have a guiding relationship. I think that anyone who is, who has tried to move into a new area, whether it's a new area of employment or a new area of, of 
being, if you will, um, finds that they can have a guide. They can call a guide, you know, a spiritual advisor. They can call a coach. They can call them all kinds of names. But, you know, there's no age limit to guiding, to finding somebody who will guide you. Um, and we all, we all have had experiences of that, and hopefully. And, and um, it has to do with being open to growth and open to, you know, discovering, exploring, and, and not so much, uh, well, not at all, about how old you are. I uh, decided to take Taekwondo when I was in my later 30s, and I had no idea. I'd never done anything like that. And uh, over the years, you know, eventually did become a very lame black belt. And uh, Betsy didn't know I was deadly like that in a lame way. But uh, what I remember thinking as you know, going through the process in RDI was I made a decision to be guided by another adult to learn something completely new and out of my competency. I mean, like, really, totally out of my competency. But I did have to make that decision. Mm. And I think that's with, a, as I say, a plethora of other obstacles, but that does have to occur with, with older older children, older adults, however we want to put it. Yeah, and not everyone does that, but I think we have many examples, as you point out, of people who do do it at all different ages, whether that's, again, uh, learning something like a new discipline like Taekwondo or a religious thing, like someone who is becoming a Buddhist and, and, or any religion, really, and, and is inexperienced in that, tries to find an advisor or guru or <laughs> guide to that, or a new way of living. Um, a new type of lifestyle. So we have many examples of people doing that at all ages. Uh, so there's no reason to think that there's any age limit. And I think that we all benefit when we know that we can have a relationship with guides. And sometimes we, we're mutually guiding one another. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I don't think there's any reason to think that there's a, a limit on that. I think that people may be mis, have misunderstood when they've seen certain very early examples of the work in RDI that it was about certain activities um, that seem more infantile or, or more associated with younger ages, that, that, has to, that those activities somehow define what we're trying to do, and they don't at all. They have nothing to do with um, what, we, what, what, what goes on in a guiding relationship. Um, even, even with younger children, you know, my grandson and I, we, um, we do a lot of yard work together. We sweep the leaves and rake and we, we, uh, we use real adult tools. I give him small examples. He's two and a half years old. We've been doing this for a while and he sees himself as, as, as a, an apprentice in that. He is an apprentice and, you know, that's his favorite thing to do. Um, and that's certainly not something that's limited to a two-year-old. <laughs> it's something that people, the thing we do is woodwork together and that with real tools again of some things I don't let him do. I don't let him use a drill, for instance, electric drill, but he does use hammers and we use nails and we use screwdrivers and we use glue and we use wood. And, you know, he's under, he's under guidance with that and there's certain roles he takes with that, but he has authentic roles in that. And it's interesting that he thinks through, um, he uses those activities, if you will, to think through things and to come up with new solutions and solve problems and 
and, um, and, and, and very proud of his thinking. Um, so, you know, as a guide right now to my grandson, the things we do, we cook together too. We do, we do two-year-old things too. I'm not suggesting we only do those types of things. But if, if we think about the variety of the things that we do together, they have no, you know, people would be surprised. They're not two-year-old things. Or neat, you know, and the things I think he is most excited about are, are not related to, uh, uh, you wouldn't associate with a young child's age. He really wants to have that authentic sense of competence that he can gain through uh, experiencing with me and trying to understand the world with me. And uh, is constantly curious about what things are and, what, and what's around him and, and things he doesn't understand. Uh, just as we're walking down the street, for instance, and Again, that was more the essence of a guiding relationship than any specific activity someone might have seen on a video clip. I think it's such a great point, the authenticity. And I do think that that can get lost on on people, both with two-year-olds, but with uh, young adults, older adults, that authentic is really important, really important. Well, the sense that I have an authentic role. I mean, it can be something playful. It can be a game. It can be anything. You know, adults can play games too and, and be playful too. And we, we can do that. But the sense that I am involved with you in an authentic way, whether it's just experiencing the world together, walking down the street, whether it is in, in work, um, that has more to do with a guiding relationship. And, and that my, that, that through your guidance, I'm able to perceive my mind. And myself as mentally being more, becoming more competent, being able to think and experience and feel more as we go through things together, that there's a transfer to me of that mental capacity. That's the essence of guiding too. It's not just doing those activities. It's using those activities, whether it's our, our yard work we do, whatever, as a vehicle for transferring that mental and functioning and that sense of self. Um, so, you know, that, that shouldn't have any kind of a limitation, that type of guiding relationship, because it's, it's, it has nothing to do with any activity or any physical arrangement. Um, you don't have to necessarily be living in the same house to do that. Um, my grandson doesn't live in my house, um, for example, and it has to do with a, a certain frequency of involvement so that you sort of stay connected and you can pick up where you left off, that you develop some common frameworks and know each other, know where you are, and the guy's able to help you move one step ahead rather than overwhelming you or, you know, making it tedious and repetitive. And that, that requires a certain frequency of contact and a certain sense of staying, um, of staying in touch with one another emotionally psychologically so that you can you can every time you reconnect you can pick up where you left off you can keep moving along um and so it's not something that is very well done on a once a week basis for instance an hour a week and that's why it's not something that you can do in a traditional sort of therapy relationship an hour a week it's hard i'm not saying it's impossible but it's very hard to do that and that's why we encourage our adults or teenagers to be able to stay involved with family with some with people who can they can have more frequent contact with the function as guides, so they can maintain that 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 sense of of, of shared knowing 
of shared experiencing awareness when they come together again. It's like they remember where they were. It's like a book you're reading. If you wait, for, if you're reading a book and you put it down for too long, and then you try to come back to it, if you can't really do that, you don't know where you left off, right? Yeah. Or if you don't, you know, or if you, too many other books, you know, in, in the way. And it's the same thing. Um, you know, you have to have that sense of continuity. And there, there's a there's a certain amount of frequency. It doesn't have to be every minute, but there is a need for that feeling of continuity to keep moving along because you're moving one step ahead at a time. Um, that I think becomes very important in terms of the guiding relationship. And again, that has nothing to do with an age um, that someone would have, but it does distinguish it from somebody you meet with once a week or once every few weeks that or traditionally you know, therapy, once a week therapy relationship, that's not the same. You don't have that co-experience and you don't have that sense of, you know, going through the flow of life together and then taking these temporary periods away and then coming back and, and moving where, from where you were and, you know, immediately remembering where you were. You don't have all those shared frameworks in that. So, you know, that is what I think we require. And as I said, if someone is very isolated and they have nobody who could function as a guide, that's when we have the biggest problems. I also was thinking about the parallel process of guides who are available and if they've been in this person's life for a long time without that guiding relationship, that it's possible that the, the and, and I say this without judgment, that the most affected are actually the guides in, in the student's life. That, that they have feelings of incompetency or lack of interest. And I don't mean, again, judgmentally in growth. They don't think about growth for their young adult child. Uh, they don't. They don't dare to hope for that, and they've resigned themselves to, you know, the person wherever their current level of functioning is being the best that they can achieve, and don't want to. It, it, it may not. It's often not conscious or not aware, but, but they've sort of turned off their hopes and dreams for growth, um, or or. Or pin them on some miraculous drug or new therapy that's going to you know, change that person's brain somehow. Um, but they've never, you know, they've been so cut off from the what the feeling is of a guarding relationship day by day, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. You're very little tiny pieces of change. You know, they, 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 that rhythm of it, that constant sense of moving forward just little by little that they don't have that experience. They don't have any reason to think that that's going to be part of their lives and be functioning as a guide for this person. Now, if they're fortunate, they've done, they've had other children and they've been able to, they can sort of capture that from their other children maybe and say, I want that for this person. But, you know, even then it's very hard sometimes to, to recapture that hope when it's been so, you know, you've been so hurt or felt so, you know, for so long that it's just not possible to do that. So I think that's right, that that's another obstacle. But again, the age, you know, age would have nothing to do with that as well. Um, It's just not a factor. You know, age is not a factor at all. I, I don't see it. 
Well, no, and that's such the hopeful news. And age isn't a factor for the guides either. And that's what I would say to guides is you may have a pattern in your life that's established of, of out of necessity, we'll say, but you as a guide can change as well. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm a grandpa and I'm, I'm guiding my grandson. Okay. So I, I'm hopefully age isn't a, a barrier to it. <laughs> I don't think that you, you're too old to be a guide. I, <laughs> I can't imagine that. Um, you know, people say, well, I'm too old. I can't run around as much. Well, you don't have to run around to be a guide. Um, well, if you have a two-year-old, probably you do. But other than that, um, when they get a little older, you don't have to, you know, physically be running around with them um, to, to do that. It's not a physical, you know, marathon. Uh, <laughs> and it's very rewarding. And by the way, there's a lot of grandparents of all ages who function as, as, as guides, sometimes the primary guides for their grandchildren. And so you can't imagine that there would be an age limit. And talk to any grandparent who's very involved in their grandchild's life, and they'll tell you that right away. Um, and, and that's just a little plug for grandparents being involved in a guiding relationship with kids with ASD. I think that they can, you know, if they understand this and they understand the role they can play, they can have an enormous impact. Yeah, believe me, with our grandbaby due in July, my husband's hearing nothing but the guiding relationship from me right now. So I absolutely, and I think it's such a message of hope, though, for parents. And I, I do think, um, and I, I, I say this, as we have talked about having a 24-year-old son who is diagnosed with ASD when a benchmark at two years old, some of the things parents have heard by the time they're young adults are reaching this age that they heard when they were two. So the things about the brain and the brain was going to be done or cooked by five. Those were things we heard have lingered in them. I, I know, I, I believe that people said those things to us well-meaning, uh, even though we know that the product of that isn't very healthy for my husband and myself or my son. But I do think those thoughts linger. Uh, when they have these these older kiddos, well, you know, and there are some people that we all know and we can all point to. It looks like their brains have been cooked, and and then you autism, and and they're never going to change. Um, there are people who really become very fixed very early in life, and you know, rigid and such. Nothing to do with autism, and nothing to do with your brain. It's it's you know, it maybe your personality, it may be the environment you're raised with. I don't know, but Certainly, there's nothing about the, the what we know about our brains that, in this modern age, that um, would convince anyone that there's some kind of age limit to brain development or growth. And I think that um, that's all based on old, 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 you know, I guess pseudoscience or what people may have thought maybe 40 or 50 years ago. That has nothing to do with the last generation and last 20 years of what we know about the brain you know, development neuroscience or anything that brains continue to change um, in so many different ways. We, we know, for instance, that people who become musicians or, or as they get older, their brains are changing in terms of how they're um, handling auditory things. And, and we know that, that taxi drivers in London, their brains change to become spatially um, extremely powerfully aware of things and, uh, of, of where they are in relationship to the city of London <laughs> Um, you know, in their 40s and 30s, 40s and 50s. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, mm -hmm. Millions of examples of 
uh, changes that in the brain that you know have nothing to do with age, um, and, and certainly don't don't reflect any kind of limitation to, to things. I think it, it, there are these extreme, extreme examples of like children who have been deprived of any stimulation where there's brain damage to the extent where it's very difficult to remediate that. And we know that if you are cut off from stimulation, you're cut off from uh, um, opportunities to experience and learn. I mean, basically locked in the closet for, you know, or in the basement in these horrendous cases that, um, you know, it's very difficult to remediate, but that's, those are extreme. Those are the equivalent of, of severe brain damage. Mm-hmm. Those are not things that we should use as a benchmark or as a prediction for anyone else. And, and people with AS, they are not locked in closets and they're not deprived of anything and they're not in the same position. So we don't expect their brains to be in any way um, impacted that way. Uh, they're cut off from opportunities um, through their own vulnerabilities to learn through regarding relationship, but that doesn't mean they can't and uh, don't. And we've seen hundreds and hundreds already of examples of of that happening, of uh, being able to then later on benefit from a guiding relationship and grow. So once again, there's no reason to think that um, that there's any neural limitation on growth. You know, and I, I liked what you were saying about you know, there's some people, people, ASD not being an issue, who are due for whatever reason, go and live a more static life. But in general, and I see it in all age groups of adults, people are always pursuing some kind of newness or difference, uh, whether it be through a vacation or a skill or enhancing their career or something. It, it may not even be in their career, maybe in a hobby. I mean, that's how hobbies come about for you yeah. know their golf game. They're always looking they're always in that growth seeking mode. And, and people, certainly their capacity for change is there for anyone, right? Um, because that's the nature of who we are as human beings. That's our unique gift is that we have the capacity to transcend and to change and to grow, not just through a biological evolution but through our own life evolution. I, I think that is a unique capacity that we don't see in any other species. Well, I think it's the beauty of RDI. It gives hope whether your child is two or eight or 18 or uh, 80. Yeah, I, I agree. And thanks for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Cat Lee. See you next time.